Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of America's Conservative Podcast. I am your host, Ed Denzel. Going to slave through this. Going to work through this show, all 55 minutes of it. The allergies have definitely kicked in. The asthma has definitely kicked in. Every time I breathe in, I don't think you can hear it on the microphone, but got the wheezing going on, the coughing, the sniffling, the itchy eyes. Excuse me. That was a burp. But the asthma is I – can, I can deal with the rest of it. It's the asthma. I just have to move very slowly around my place. That's how bad it can get. Um, this is very similar. Not as bad probably as uh, when I went to see my parents and all the dust had been kicked up in my place because I was doing a little cleaning. But the pollen – uh, I, I've discovered that the the um, the rating scale for uh, allergies goes up to twelve. It doesn't go up to ten. So yesterday it was like eight point nine out of twelve. But I've seen they like predict it's just like you can predict like rain. They can predict pollen, and it's supposed to get up like near twelve by the end of the week. So I might not be able to breathe by the end of the week. We'll just have to see. But uh, so it's bad. Uh, I had asthma when I lived in Las Vegas. Don't remember much of it when I lived in Pennsylvania, but maybe because over 27 years of living there, my body had become accustomed to what was there. But in Las Vegas and now here in Florida, and if you take a look at the map of the allergy map of the United States, the uh, Orlando oh, going over toward uh, – Daytona Beach is already like 11 or 12 on the scale. And that is coming this way somehow. So last night, even though it went down into the 40s, I slept with the air conditioning on because that's supposed to help. And I did sleep well, which is good. But once you get up, start moving around, it all comes back. So just going to have to work through it. That's just the way it is. Did you see... Uh, this story about this American Airlines jet that flew from Colombia, uh, Bogota, Colombia, the country Colombia, to Miami, and then it was the plane was tagged for uh, maintenance, and they flew it to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where Air, American Airlines does all of its maintenance. They found fourteen pounds. Bricks of 14 pounds of bricks of cocaine in a wheel well. And I didn't know this. I see, being that I don't know anything about drugs other than that I think I sh- they should stay illegal. Cocaine goes right now for $14,000 a pound. So you can add that all up and figure out how much that was. I think it was 14 pounds. But. Uh, that was hidden in the wheel well of a jet going from Bogota, Colombia to Miami. It doesn't get more cliche than that. Cocaine from Colombia to Miami. Imagine that. I am shocked. Now, I'm guessing what was supposed to ha- supposed to happen was that that plane they thought was going to maybe sit at that airport overnight. And obviously somebody who works for American Airlines works on the ground there was going to be able to go up into that wheel well and steal it. But being that the thing got tagged, it got flown again to Oklahoma, got in the way of 
this plan. I'm guessing this isn't the first time these people have tried to do that. And I'm sure that at the airport in Miami, they are going to be able to track down who was supposed to get that cocaine, who was supposed to take it out of the jet that night. Interesting. Just uh, all the ways that uh, they try to get around this, uh, the laws that we have here in the United States. And one more reason why I think that this wall that Trump wants to build is not going to stop all of this stuff. going to stop illegal immigration as much as everybody thinks. Uh, we are in, in a, uh, a, a war here with that them. And uh, the wall is not going to help. I think the expectations of it. That's see, you have to understand something. That's one of the reasons um, that I have big doubts about throwing a lot of money at this. Um, I think that the expectations for what the a wall is going to do is too high. All right, it's too high. Uh, unfortunately, I think that people say, well, look at Israel, look what it's done and um, with building a wall to keep people out. That's a totally different situation. Those people, the path, if you want to call them Palestinians or wherever else are trying to sneak into Israel, they are doing it for the express reason of killing people. And they're not sneaking in there for economic opportunities. This isn't that. They aren't moving into Israel for a, a better way of life. It's not like they're sneaking in here and want to blend in and become Jewish, you know, and and uh, celebrate Hanukkah and the rest of it. Those are people who are going in there to they want to kill Israelis. They want to disrupt that country. Most of the people who are sneaking into the United States are not that. They may end up being criminals. But they aren't sneaking in here because they want the United States to fall apart. They're sneaking in here because the United States is exactly where they want to be. And so that generates a lot more people coming from the Mexican area. Mexico, you know, they're coming up. They're not all Mexicans. They may from Honduras or wherever else to get into the United States. They're coming in here for other reasons than disrupting they're disrupting the United States and wanting it to fall apart. And because of that, uh, I think, once again, I think that the wall is totally overblown. It's, uh, I think that we've put too high an expectation on how much it is going to work, especially given the money, whether Mexico pays for it, we pay for it, somebody else pays for it, the cost put into it, I don't think we're ever going to get back. Ever. The problem with immigration and all of these other issues starts with us. Starts with us. The reason that these people continue to sneak into the United States to be able to get jobs is because American citizens are employing these people knowing that they're illegal. If Americans really, really, really disliked illegals, all these Americans who employ them would send them back. They wouldn't hire them in the first place. But they do. That's why I continue to say 
uh, that although in polls it seems like a majority of Americans are against illegal immigration and they want the wall and this and that, in practice, I don't know of too many Americans turning illegals in. So think about that. So that's what I think of when I think about this um, this uh, drug story coming from Bogota to Miami. That the costs of people getting in here is very, very low. The, the, the reward is very, very high. The risk is very, very low. And as long as the risk is very, very low, they're going to continue to do it whether there's a wall or not. We have to make the risk very, very high. And one of the ways you do that is you make sure that American citizens who protect these people, I'm not talking even about sanctuary cities. I'm talking about American citizens all over this country who I know employ illegals, whether it's landscaping or farming. These people, all those Americans, they should be thrown in jail too. You know, it's not, you know, I think that once again, we as conservatives, you know, it's easy to pick on San Francisco and it's easy to pick on Miami or it's easy to pick on Chicago and it's easy to pick on Los Angeles or the whole state of California for that matter. It's easy for us to do that. But those numbers are dwarfed by the whole United States in Kansas and Nebraska and Iowa and Texas In Nevada, like I saw it there, where regular American citizens hire these people knowing they're not supposed to be here. That's a bigger deal than these sanctuary cities. It's easy to pick on the sanctuary cities because they're all run by liberals, and don't we love to make fun of them? Well, you know what? There are a lot of conservatives today, today, January 31st. I can't believe this month of January is over. I don't know where time goes. January 31st, 2017, there are conservatives who are rolling out of bed right now who will employ illegals today, even though they also want the wall built. So you have to figure that, you know, go figure that. That's one more reason. I don't think we should put a cent into this thing. The problem starts with us. So let's move on to something else. Uh, This acting AG, Attorney General Sally Yates, she got fired. Uh, In this case, you're not going to hear me. You're going to hear me praise Donald Trump. I think he did the right thing. I think that although I don't believe that this executive order is going to work, I think it's – and we're going to get into that uh, a little bit more in a second. Um, I think that it's constitutional what he did. I think he went about it the wrong way. I don't know if it's going to work. But he surely has the, the, the ability to do that. There's nothing unconstitutional about what he did. I'm pretty convinced of that even though I've seen arguments either way. But being that this woman didn't want to enforce the law, did not want to uh, defend this travel ban, 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 B-A-N, uh, she deserved to be fired. And uh, they took the appropriate steps to do that. That is the right thing to do. These people who work in the executive branch work for Donald Trump. 
They, he's the executive. He got elected. That's just the way it goes. In contrast, I would contrast this. Even if they personally, if Sally Yates or whoever else doesn't like the law or doesn't like the executive order. I contrast this with the Defense of Marriage Act, which the, uh, the Obama administration didn't defend. When it got challenged, they put up no defense against it. And see, that's, you know, this is something that I think it's, a lo- it's a hard to understand. I don't know. Maybe, maybe more people will understand this the longer we go. Uh, but I don't know if, you know, going back to the 70s, 80s, 80s, 90s, people understood the idea that it is the job of the current administration to defend whatever laws are in place, even if they don't like them. That's not how we do things. Once again, we are not a country of men and men's whims and opinions and choices, we are a country of laws, which means they are supposed to be followed. You don't like it, you go through the framework to change it. You get the Congress to draw something up or, or repeal it or whatever else, and then the president signs it, and then it's not a law, not, it's, you know, and then it's not a law anymore. That's the way things go. But too much, I think that we've too many citizens, whether it's because of ignorance, because of a lack of schooling, because or just because they want things their own way. They think they have they have this idea that once a new administration comes into place, all the laws that were passed in the prior administration don't count. Well, here's news. Those laws do count. They count for everything. And their laws, the, the laws that you don't like are just as valid as the laws you do like. And so in the, administ- in the uh, Obama administration, they didn't, of course, believe in the defense of marriage between a man and a woman. So they just chose not to challenge it, and that's how it eventually got overturned. That's how it eventually happened. And it eventually got to the Supreme Court, and we know how they ruled. Well, now we have, like, the flip-flop. We have an executive order that... Donald Trump surely had uh, the ability to write, to create, and there's a whole backstory on how that happened that I don't think I'm going to get into in this show. But Sally Yates decided, I don't like it. I'm not going to enforce it. I'm not going to tell anybody in the Justice Department to support it, and that's just the way it goes. That's not how it works. Now, granted, you know, it was kind of a, a win-win for her. If she does her job, she gets to keep it. Maybe be made fun of by all her liberal friends. But being that she didn't want to enforce it, and she knew she was going to get fired, she becomes a martyr. And so I'm, I'm sure she's going to get some nice work out of that. <laughs> so let's not too feel, feel too bad for Sally Yates. But her job was to enforce the law no matter what her personal opinions are. And once again, I think this is something that it's hard for Americans to understand. And there is, uh, of course, a precedent with this going way back to uh, Watergate where there was a special prosecutor who was looking into, 
You know, what did the president know and when did he know it? And what happened? Uh, Nixon ordered his attorney general to fire the special prosecutor and the special prosecutor, which even though Nixon was a criminal after the fact, um, he certainly had the ability to do that. Uh, his attorney general, though, didn't want to do it, so the special process, the attorney general, got fired. It's called the Midnight Massacre. You can look it up. And then who was put up in his place? I think, actually, it was Robert Bork. Robert Bork, uh, who later in the 80s, of course, was borked by the Senate in his uh, Supreme Court uh, hearings. Remember that? Uh, he took the position, and he did fire the special prosecutor because, once again, that's what the law was. That was perfectly constitutional for all that to happen. The guy before him didn't want to do that because he liked the special prosecutor. And, and I understand it puts you in a you know a complex position given that the guy who is giving the order for— for the special prosecutor is exactly the guy that the special prosecutor is going after. Well, you know, that can get uh, a little dicey, but it was constitutional. Everything worked out. And hey, in the end, Nixon resigned anyway. So there is precedent for this going back to then. And uh, I'm not the first person to bring uh, that similarity up between what happened with Trump and Sally Yates yesterday and what happened way back when with Richard Nixon in the um, early 1970s. I guess that would have been 73 or 74 that that all happened. So you have that, but this is the way liberals are going to be. And dare I say it, there's probably some conservatives out there who might do the same thing. I mean, given, you know, imagine if there had been a Republican president Democrat president gets elected, signs an executive order, and you have a, you know, uh, you know, act, acting attorney general who is a conservative and is asked to do something that's, you know, that's liberal, and he or she says, I'm not going to do it. You know what? That person, that conservative, he'd have every right to be fired as well. But once again, Sally Yates, she's going to be fine. You know she's going to be uh, okay. She's gonna she's gonna get to go on CNN. She's gonna get to go on MSNBC. She's probably gonna get a couple nice speeches out of it. She's probably gonna be asked to be a lawyer at some uh, you know very extravagant firm. Maybe she'll become a lobbyist. She'll be just fine. This probably her getting fired by Donald Trump is probably the best thing that ever happened to her in her career. That's the best. She probably thought, oh, man, here it comes. I'm going to get fired by Donald Trump. This is awesome. Just imagine it if it's a conservative who's going to get fired by Barack Obama. Best thing that could ever happen to that person, once again, career-wise. So she'll be fine. Now, regarding this, moving on to the next part, and this is something that I had been foreshadowing for a long time, is that we now find out that you would think, being that the Department of Homeland Security 
I mean, just look at its name. You're supposed to be secure the homeland, and I, I got to tell you, I hate the word homeland. I hate it. I hate it. Reminds me a little too much of uh, Germany circa 1938. I know they call it the motherland, or, or maybe that was Russia, but there's just something about homeland. That there's, it has a horrible historical connotation. And whoever came up with that name, uh, it's like the worst name. How about just, I mean, who knows? The, the department probably didn't even need to be created anyway. I think it was an overreaction to September 11th. And I thought that then. I think it now. I'll continue to think it. And I'm not sure how much more secure we are now. Than when, it, than when it was put together. I don't know. But if you're going to do something like uh, come up with a better name than Department of Homeland Security. How about just Department of United States of America Security? How about USA Security or something like that? In any case, the name implies that that department is to secure the borders. Of course, we know all about the TSA and, and everything else. So, this is the funny part. Trump wrote, uh, signed this executive order. He did not write it. We're now finding out that it was actually staffers for congressmen. Is this right? Did I get that right? That it was staffers who work for congressmen, Republican congressmen, who wrote this up? That can't be true, can it? Can't be true. Maybe it's true. But he signed it. Trump signed it. Did not even uh, consult his Department of Homeland Security guy, John Kelly, who is a Marine, who is was appointed by – once again, this isn't some Barack Obama holdover. John Kelly has already been approved by the Senate, was already approved. I uh, got through 88 to 11 on that, if you don't know. He was one, I think, one of the first uh, appointments to get confirmed and obviously went through very easily. So it's Trump's guy heading up the Department of Homeland Security now. It's Trump's guy. This is not a Sally Yates situation where Trump ignored somebody just because he or she was in from the prior administration. This is Trump's Guy. Trump could have picked any person who is, an, I guess, an American citizen. Maybe you don't even have to be an American citizen to head up a cabinet. I don't know. Uh, he, could have, he could have picked any American citizen to head up this department. This is the guy who Trump picked. And then when it comes to signing this executive order, John Kelly was not even included in the signing. He found out about it while he was on a helicopter somewhere that the president had already signed it. I think he thought he was going to be in on the uh, signing of it or consultation of it before Trump signed it. Trump just went ahead and did it. Gave the, the Department of Homeland Security no notice at all. And that's one of the main reasons you had all of this confusion uh, between people who work for Homeland Security, specifically people who are – Working uh, 
you know, at the borders, at these airports, letting people in, looking at their visas, looking at their passports. And all of these people who were then stuck at the airports, which, like I say, I mean, it, it, some of these people, if you're going to get stuck in an, uh, a place in the world, getting stuck in an American airport, you know what? You can do a lot worse. There's chairs. There's places to eat. There's bathrooms. I mean, what do you want? <laughs> you got water fountains, free water, uh, free, you know, bathrooms. Yeah, the food may be a little expensive, but you got chairs. You got a place to sleep. It's air conditioned. It's heated. I mean, what do you want? If you get stuck there, (laughs) you know, it's better getting stuck in a little town in Kansas. In any case, that's what was part of the confusion uh, this weekend. It wasn't just that these people uh, were ticked off. That they came to the United States and now weren't being let in. It was also that the employees there weren't sure what to do. And unfortunately, and either I guess that uh, General Mattis, the guy who's now, has he been confirmed? Uh, That's heading up the Defense Department. He didn't know about it either. Once again, heard something was going to happen was not consulted, didn't know anything about it. Once again, even though this kind of does have to do with national security, of course, the Defense Department might want to, you know, offer a little opinion on, you know, what should be done and how it should be done. Nothing. Trump got somebody to write it up. He signed it, and everybody else was just going to have to deal with it. This, unfortunately, furthers my idea that that I've been saying for a while, even before he got elected, that even if Trump gets elected, yeah, he may put good people in some of these positions, but is he really going to trust them? Is he really going to listen to them? Is he going to allow them to be consultants, at least, on any of this stuff? So far, the answer is no. It's a resounding no. And I, once again, wonder why people couldn't see this. In fact, we talked about this, or I talked about this yesterday. That he is the type of guy who will take immigration, or I should say voting fraud advice, from a friend of his who is a golfer. Won't talk to somebody who heads up elections in the United States. Won't talk to some expert on voter fraud. Uh, who's that? John Fund has written so much, or somebody like that. No, but he'll listen to a golfer, and that's what will get him motivated. Likewise with this. Who does he get to draw this uh, executive order up? Some congressional staffers. He signs it. Never has John Kelly come up to the White House. You know, John, I'm thinking about having a travel ban. What do you travel ban from Syria and some of these other countries? What do you think about that? How is the best way? I want to do this. All right. I'm talking to you about it, but I want you to know I want to do this. Uh, And what is the best way to do that? In 30 days, in 60 days, uh, next week, what should it entail? Didn't he do any of that? So all of you getting excited about who is going to head up these departments, I think we already know how it's going to go. 
We already know. Whether it's treasury or labor or anything else, uh, and, and I should add on to this, there's another indication uh, that this is going to be true, and this is happening for the first time, I think, that Steve Bannon, who, of course, was a very close political advisor um, and has been for not quite a year yet, I don't think, but you know he's from Breitbart.com. He was a consultant, very, very close inner circle guy for Donald Trump. He is now a part of the National Security Advisor team. What do they call it? Let me see here. The Principals Committee. He is now going to get to sit in on national security meetings. Now, you should know something about this. Not even Karl Rove got to sit in on national security meetings while George W. Bush was president. And we know how close George W. Bush and Karl Rove, how close they are. They're probably closer together, been together for years, probably closer to each other than, than David Axelrod was with Barack Obama. Probably. And I don't even think, to my knowledge, I don't, I'm not sure that Valerie Jarrett was in on national security meetings. If she was, that's wrong too. But we now know that Steve Bannon is absolutely, and this is just news within the last couple days, that he is going to sit on national security meetings where Trump will be getting reports from the experts about what is going on in the world and how the United States should be reacting to it. Just giving him information, giving him the best information he can make as president of the United States. He's now his political advisor is going to get to sit in on that. And I want to continue to this after the break. You've been listening to America's Conservative Podcast. The voice of American conservatism. WRS Digital. Red State Talk Radio. And we are back at America's Conservative Podcast. I want to continue to talk about uh, Donald Trump's cabinet picks and how I believe that he's going to ignore them. And then including his own close personal friends and confidants and inner political inner, inner circle people in the decisions that he's going to make. Um, as I stated before the break, that Steve Bannon, who is going to be – who is, of course, in the White House now, helping Donald Trump out, is going to be a part of national security meetings. So I need to go back and point out something about George W. Bush and the reason that he kept Karl Rove out of national security meetings. It wasn't because of top-secret stuff. It wasn't that. Uh, To hear George W. Bush say it in his own words is that he never wanted to give the American people the impression or the idea or – any inference or anything else that military decisions would be based on politics. That he was going to worry about his approval ratings, whether the people liked it, whether they didn't, if it was going to please this group, wasn't going to please that group. And he knew that Karl Rove, we know who Karl Rove is, he uh, was the guy who engineered George W. Bush becoming governor in Texas, and then he engineered 
the campaigns for George W. Bush in 2000 and 2004. 2004, uh, at, the point, at that point, uh, George W. Bush got the most votes of any popular vote of any president in American history. That has, of course, been surpassed by Barack Obama twice. And um, Hillary Clinton. So he never wanted to give the impression that anything political would go into his decisions regarding military matters. All right. Now, I'm going to stand here and tell you that probably those factors did – I mean he's only human just like any president is – did factor in, I'm going to guess, once or twice. But he thought, I guess, that it was too far to allow his longtime political advisor to sit in on these meetings because there's really no need for it. It's not supposed to be about politics. It's supposed to be about the defense of the United States. So now we come to the present, and it's like we're doing the opposite. It's like Donald Trump wants to include Steve Bannon. It seems like he's going out of his way to make sure that Steve Bannon is uh, included in these meetings. Now, now you should know something. Uh, if you want to <laughs> – If you really want to hear some people who really don't like Steve Bannon at all, if you're interested in listening to a podcast where it's nonstop hatred of Steve Bannon all the time, especially this most recent episode, you need to listen to the commentary uh, podcast with John Podoritz and uh, a couple of his guys who work at Commentary Magazine. Wow. Wow. And I I can't say that I disagree with him, but uh, Steve Bannon has not come up very much on this show. Uh, I know who he is. I know how he got, you know, I know his background. There's not much to like about it. And as soon as he took over at Breitbart is when it started going downhill. And I think to this day, Andrew Breitbart would be very displeased with the website that now holds his name. And Steve Bannon, Steve Bannon is a major reason for that. Steve Bannon was the reason that Ben Shapiro and others left Breitbart.com. And now that guy's in the White House sitting in on national security meetings. Now, once again, I think this is the reason is that, as I stated before, Donald Trump is more likely to take advice – from his close confidants, you know, his his kiss-butt people. And being that I come from the entertainment world, I know everything about that. Instead of the people who actually know things, like generals and lieutenants and colonels and people like that. That's why I, I think with this executive order... Regarding uh, this travel ban, he didn't talk to uh, the Department of Head Homeland Security head. He didn't talk to General Mattis. He didn't talk to any of these other people who are experts on immigration. He, in the end, he's going to do what he wants. That's what happens when you get elected. That these people were so surprised that it happened is the problem. So... You know, and I think of something else, and this is a story 
I don't, I've never worked for the Trump organization. I wasn't there. I don't know. I just know what I've read. And there was stories out there going way back, even I think before Donald Trump ever uh, ran for president. So I don't think that these uh, statements uh, by former employees or whoever are generally aimed at him because he ended up running as a Republican nominee and becoming president. I think that they were just statements about how he ran, what kind of businessman he was, what kind of leader he was uh, as head of the Trump organization or Trump Enterprises or whatever it's called. He never wanted to get bad news. He never wanted to get bad news. The people around him were instructed to never give him bad news. So really what he had around him, and really this is unfortunately how most insecure people lead their lives, is they put a bunch of lackeys around them. People who are never going to get out of line, people who know who their job is to kiss the leader's butts. You know what I think of first of all when I think of this? I think of Prince, the musician, probably could be, could be the greatest musician in American history, period, could be, could be, between everything that he could do and the song, he could just go from one genre to the other, could play any instrument, could sing, could dance, could do everything, maybe the greatest, once again, performer, musician, songwriter in American history, I'm dead serious, much better than Michael Jackson, he, the reason he died is because he had a bunch of yes people around him. He had a bunch of people who were willing who were willing to allow him uh, to take the drugs that he was doing, killing himself essentially, simply because they wanted to remain in his inner circle, and they knew if they said something to him about his drug use, even if it wasn't you know heroin, it was opioid addiction, that fentanyl, whatever it's called. They were going to allow him to do that because they needed a paycheck. They got to fly in his private plane. They got to be a part of his inner circle. They got to see everything behind the curtain the rest of us don't get to see. And it just wasn't worth their while to tell him the truth. And we know what happened because of that. He's dead. Well before he should have gone. Well before. And you can't expect a person like a prince, like a Donald Trump, to wake up and say, you know what, Uh, I think I really need to start putting some people around me who, you know what, can offer me better advice. I, I talk to these people, and all they do is agree with me. That gets a little weird. That gets a little old. But see, it doesn't get old for the person whose ego needs propped up like that, who always needs to feel... Like he or she is the smartest person in the room. And dare I say it, Trump gets in there with all those generals and everything. Probably real quick, real quickly, he's going to feel like the most stupidest guy in the room. And you know what? That would probably be true. But that's okay if you are a secure person in your own personality and who you are. You realize, you know what? These guys do this for a living. They've been in the military for 20, 30 years. They know what's going on. They have spies. They have satellites and everything. I'm just this guy who comes from the business world. I wanted to be president. Thought I could help the country. These guys are here to help me. I'm going to allow them to help me. 
You can only do that if you are a humble, modest, self-aware person. Otherwise, it's going to go like it's going. Donald Trump includes at least one of his people in these meetings. So then he can just take Steve Bannon's advice. Whereas in the back of his mind, Donald Trump's saying, I'm so so much smarter than the Steve Bannon guy. I'm glad I have him and everything, but he is just a nobody. Without me, he's a nobody. Whereas all these generals and and people, they are somebodies without Donald Trump. This is, I I tried to warn you on this. I tried to. You know, I can only, I can only explain this, you know, within my own world, what I think I know about myself. I like to learn stuff. All right. I like to. Um, I enjoy like my other show and found. I love learning things about these cases that I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be in and I do, don't want to portray myself as a know-it-all. And that's why when I come to this microphone for this show, I tell you, I'm just looking at the same information you're looking at. I have no inside information. I have no contacts in Washington, D.C. Nowhere. Nowhere. I'm just telling you what I see. Uh, but I think that I'm self-aware. I think that I'm modest. And sometimes I told you, I tell you, I just don't know. And part of what conservatism is, is actually saying, having the ability to say, I don't know. I don't know how people are supposed to run their own lives. They're just going to have to do it. They're just going to have to figure it out because we don't know. In contrast to the liberal idea of the government knows everything. We know everything. A bunch of know-it-alls. All they have to do is follow what we want. And if they don't, we're going to make them do it. It's a different sort of idea between both sides. And Donald Trump is the kind of guy who is, who is afraid to say, I don't know. Because he, make, he, thinks that may, he thinks that makes him look weak. And it's very dangerous when you have a person like that in a position with as much power that he has. There is a certain amount of modesty and um, humbleness that needs to go along with being president, and that's one of the main reasons I couldn't vote for him. It wasn't necessarily because he was a knee-jerk liberal. I think that he is a bad guy because he lacks modesty, lacks humbleness. He's a know-it-all. He's going to tell you what he thinks, and he thinks he knows everything. He's going to dominate conversations, and frankly, he reminds me a lot of people in my own personal life, just to be honest with you. So when it comes to all of this stuff, that kind of person is more likely to believe a person who doesn't know anything in contrast to people who are, who are actually very well-versed. The truth is I think that Donald Trump is intimidated by true knowledge and true intelligence. I think so. And I think this is the why he ignored John Kelly in the DA, in the Department of Homeland Security. That's why he's including Steve Bannon in the national security meetings. And this is going to go on and on and on.
And this is the exact reason why I've tried to tell, uh, at least on this show, I haven't talked to any liberals about Donald Trump in person. I just try to stay away from that stuff. I would say that you eventually are going to like a lot about what Donald Trump is going to do. I know right now it seems like the worst thing in the world. But being that he's a knee-jerk liberal, you're going to eventually like a lot of what he's going to do because he's not going to listen to those conservative people that he he has put in these positions. He's not going to listen to them. And that's the way this administration is going to go. Now, the question is whether Donald Trump can wake up one day and say – you know what? This isn't working. That's That'll be the main question. Is it going to be him? Who's going to... Because to me, if this goes the way it's going to go, Donald Trump is going to continue to continue to build his ego while the United States is going to go down, down, down. Does he have the courage to put his ego aside, his arrogance aside, for the betterment of the United States? That's the question. And that's why I continue to say Donald Trump will pick himself over the United States anytime, anywhere, any day. And that's why, once again, I think that he signed this executive order without consultation from people who know stuff. And that's why he's including Steve Bannon in this uh, these national security meetings. Steve Mann, a guy who knows nothing, zero about national security, zero. I would say I know more about national security than he does, and I know nothing about what's going on in the world except the secret stuff. Let's put it that way. I can read the news. That's about it. So let's move on to something else. I think that I've um, made my point there. By the way, I guess by the time you're listening to this, at least on Red State Talk Radio, if you're listening to this, this show plays uh, Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern on the Prime Channel on Red State Talk Radio. By the time you're listening to this on Red State Talk Radio, I guess that Donald Trump has already made his announcement who is his Supreme Court pick is. I think this is, enough, once again, talking about it from yesterday. Doesn't listen to well-known conservative scholars or anything, as far as we can tell. If he was doing that, he'd pick William Pryor or somebody else. Instead, he went to his second pick, Neil Gorsuch, and now we're down to the third pick of Thomas Hardiman, who just happens to be good friends with Donald Trump's sister. Is I want, I want you to ask something. Before you think that I'm way, way off on this, do you think that's a coincidence? I'm going to take for exa- to take for granted that Trump's sister doesn't know every judge in the United States. What are the odds that Donald Trump just randomly would pick a judge that is friends with his sister? The the percentage, the chance of that has to be what? 1 in 10? 1 in 20? But here he is, allegedly one of uh, this Hardiman guy is now at the top of the list. This goes along with my executive order rant that I had earlier. This goes along with the Steve Bannon rant that I just had. It's the same thing. 
if he was serious about putting a true conservative on the on the uh, Supreme Court, he wouldn't be taking he wouldn't be picking a fr- somebody who just happens to be friends with his sister. He'd be picking William Pryor. Is William Pryor friends with Donald Trump's sister? I haven't read it. Maybe they are, but I haven't read anything about that. Was Neil Gorsuch friends with Trump's sister? Once again, I don't know. I haven't read anything about that, but that's the first thing I read about when Thomas Hardiman's name comes up. So could it be that Thomas Hardiman is now in the in the running, the main running, the number one spot, not because of his court opinions, but because Trump's sister called him up and said, hey, you know what? You might want to take a look at this guy. He's a good guy. And she's no conservative. She's no originalist. She may be a perfectly fine woman. She may be humble and modest, the exact opposite of her brother. But I know enough about her to know she's not as conservative as we would like. So once again, getting back to what I talked about before Donald Trump got elected. Is it would have been okay with you if we told you back then Donald Trump was going to make his Supreme Court pick and the person was just ha- going to happen, just happen, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, to be friends with his sister? Would that have pleased you? Would you still have used that as a defense of your vote for him over Hillary Clinton? Moreover, getting back to what we just talked about, would it have been enough if you found out that he was going to make the executive order and not talk to John Kelly, his own uh, appointment regarding this travel ban, and that he was going to make Steve Bann a part of the national security team? Would you still have used the defense of, well, at least it's not Hillary Clinton? So once again, if that's the case, how far are you willing to go? Like I said... See, this is the problem that will always crop up when you start saying, yes, he's, but at least he's not. Because then I can start saying, well, what if he does this? What if he does that? You still wouldn't vote for Hillary Clinton. So you're just going to vote for anybody. Anybody. Doesn't matter what the principles are. It's really, this is just a vendetta against Hillary Clinton. It's really just that. It has nothing to do with political issues. You want political issues to be uh, uh, in the forefront, and that's why you say you're voting for Donald Trump and why you voted for him. But he starts doing these things that really are not that conservative. They're not even really that moderate, and you still say you'd vote for him. So it's really not about political issues. You want the politics of the United States to change and get better, but when you make your decision to vote, it has nothing to do with political issues. It's no wonder the United States doesn't get any better if that's your thinking. See, this is the problem that I had from the beginning that nobody understood. Everybody says, we want the United States to get better. Well, that involves some political issues, but you throw the political issues out when you make your decision. And then it's no wonder that politicians find that out and they all become so flimsy. And then you, you stand there and you wonder, well, what happened? What happened? I voted for him. I, I, what, what, what? <laughs> because they know they have your number. I tried to convince you. Doing this one, 
picking one candidate over another just because you hate the other one only leads to political issues being less and less and less important when it's really the political issues that affect your everyday lives. You want to make it about people. I want to make it about issues. You're the ones who have made it about people, so it's no wonder you just get the the better of two bad people. Allegedly better. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. And I know you're not going to hear this anywhere else on Red State Talk Radio. That's why this is called America's Conservative Podcast, not America's Trump Podcast. I continue to think that these people who have defended him, who call themselves conservatives, are fools. They're probably the nicest people in the world. Great husbands, great fathers, great mothers, great wives, great sisters, great whatevers, great grandmothers, whatever. They're wrong. They're wrong for all these things that we've seen in these first seven to ten days. Ted Cruz would not have handled his business this way. Marco Rubio wouldn't have. Not even Carly Fiorina and most of these other those other people would have. Not even probably Jeb Bush would have handled his business this way, including people in on decisions who shouldn't be included and just doing things without consulting people who know more. So we'll just have to live with it now. Just have to live with it. You Republicans, you're going to have to live with it. Conservatives, you're going to have to live with it. And I hope you learned your lesson. I hope. But I got to go. You can email me, edwarddensowatreagan.com. You can find the show on Podomatic and, and iTunes. Please listen, share, and subscribe. already explained where you can hear me on Red State Talk Radio, my website, edwarddensowatreagan.com. My other show, Unfound Missing Person Show, you can find it on Podomatic and iTunes. Please listen, share, subscribe to that as well. Get to see another side of me, I guess, where I don't do all the talking. And the, uh, what else for that? Um, Once again, Podomatic and iTunes. And that's about it. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to America's Conservative.